Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 88. Today I will be talking about the murder of Kevin Mangle Jr. My sources for today's episode are Dateline, Season 21, Episode 31, titled Toxic, PenLive.com, DailyLocal.com, UnionvilleTimes.com, and Inquirer.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. In the pit of my stomach, I just knew something's not right here. I just felt something bad had happened. He must have been so, so scared. They were so happy at first. Kevin just fell in love with her. Morgan was very, very charming. But when the marriage went bad, he went missing. He just disappeared. Was this a husband who didn't want to be found? Was this a wife who had something to hide? Kevin Mangle Jr. grew up in suburban Philadelphia, had a sister Michelle and a younger brother Chris. His sister said Kevin was a typical older brother and kept a watchful eye out for her. Kevin especially became protective when their parents divorced. The divorce affected Kevin, and he told his family he would never get a divorce when he got married. Kevin did date a lot in high school, but liked to date just one girl at a time. When he was 20, he met Morgan, who had attended an an exclusive all-girls Catholic school. Morgan was described as upbeat and smiling, and Kevin fell in love with her. Morgan gave birth to their first child a few months before she and Kevin got married, They had a traditional wedding and became parents to two more kids. Kevin loved being a dad, but Kevin did have a rocky relationship with his dad since his parents' divorce. By June 2010, Kevin and his dad, Kevin Sr., reconnected and became close again. They had made plans for the family to come visit him for Father's Day. Both stubborn and we're both pickheaded. So uh, he didn't call me, I didn't call him, and then it got into a little bit of a battle. And uh, years went by. And years went by. On Father's Day morning, 2010, Michelle called her mom to check on things. It didn't sound right. And I said, are you okay? And she said, Kevin left. And she just started crying hysterically. Morgan sent a text message to Kevin Sr. And it read, quote, due to unforeseen circumstances, we won't be able to come over today. Happy Father's Day, end quote. Kevin's family all knew how excited he was to come spend time with them. So it didn't make sense. Kevin had even spoken to Michelle's husband and said how excited he was to see them. Morgan said Kevin had just taken off, leaving her with the kids. Morgan said that Kevin told her the marriage was over, but Kevin's family thought maybe he could have just taken a day or two to cool down. Kevin and Morgan didn't have the most stable relationship, and they had always been on and off. Michelle said it was like clockwork and that every August around their anniversary, Morgan would leave. But Morgan was the one who left several times in the past, but she would always come back. Kevin was deeply in love with her. Morgan would act as if nothing had ever happened. Kevin's family knew that if the marriage was really over, he would have called them for support. He had sent his mom a text message a few days after he left. The text just worried her more, so his mom called the West Goshen Township Police. The police thought Kevin's mom was overreacting. A tip had come in that Kevin had been reported not far from his home. It was at a check cashing place not far from Kevin and Morgan's house. The police stopped there to check out the tip. The owner of the check cashing place knew who Kevin was, and it did seem like the person that had been seen was Kevin. Kevin even finally responded to his dad and said he just needed time away but was fine. Michelle also received a message that he was fine and Morgan was the one they needed to worry about. Morgan seemed to be doing fine. She and Kevin owned a landscaping business, 
On the Monday after Kevin disappeared, she had told the employees that she was in charge now. And one employee named Al remembered Morgan flirting with a 21-year-old employee named Steve Chappelle. And looks at me and says, Steve says what color underwear I have on. You know, and Steve's like, yeah, pink with black stripes. Right off the bat. Al said he had called to ask Morgan a question about an assignment, and Steve answered her phone. Michelle said Steve seemed polite and quiet and had done work on her yard just a few weeks earlier. Michelle said she had driven past the apartment complex and saw Morgan and Steve outside sitting by the pool with the kids. Michelle said she thought Morgan was having another affair. Five days after Kevin disappeared, he posted a status on Facebook. On his status, he wrote that he wanted to be left alone. Some of his friends left him alone and thought he and Morgan just had another fight. But to his family, the status was a red flag. The status had come from a computer when all his other messages had come from his phone. The wording in Kevin's messages didn't seem like Kevin. Michelle thought it was odd that Kevin called her sis because he had never done that before. In summer of 2010, a rainstorm had come through the outskirts of Philadelphia. It had knocked over trees and power lines, and it had now been a week since Kevin disappeared. When Kevin continued to message his parents over text messaging, his dad asked him to call a family member, and Kevin responded that he was speaking to a family member, his wife. Michelle was convinced that Kevin wasn't the one sending the messages. Michelle asked Kevin to answer what street they grew up on. The family was begging the police to take another look at Kevin's case, and the police agreed to go to the apartment to talk to Morgan. The police said Morgan was cooperative and had proof, messages from Kevin, that he was breaking up with her. The messages were that he was leaving them, and Morgan had responded with, Are you kidding me? And he said no. The police also spoke to Steve. Morgan scoffed at the idea that her and Steve were more than friends, and Morgan found it funny because she was 34 and he was 21. Kevin's friends said they knew Morgan had a history of cheating on Kevin, even with his close friends. She would tell me how they would have sex in her and Kevin's bed when he would go out, how they would have sex in the cars, the, you know, the business cars. And I said to myself, you know, she's not right. There's something wrong with her. Michelle believed that Morgan and Steve were up to something. Michelle even confronted Morgan, and Morgan hadn't let the family see the three kids since Kevin disappeared. The family asked the police to do surveillance on the apartment, but they said no, so Kevin's family did some investigating on their own. Chris, Kevin's brother, staked out the apartment overnight. What Chris saw was Steve now living in the apartment, almost taking Kevin's place. Okay, they're, yeah, they're getting in the truck now. To Chris, it sure looked like Morgan and Steve were getting ready for something. He has a bunch of crap with him. Morgan has a bunch of stuff, too. It looked as if Steve and Morgan were leaving, so Chris and his family frantically called the police. I'm afraid his wife and the new boyfriend are making a move right now to leave. They're leaving. Chris followed Steve and Morgan and waited across the street. The police were also waiting for Morgan and Steve at the landscaping business. They decided to poke around the business. Morgan got out of the truck while Steve waited inside and had a blank stare on his face. In the back seat of the truck was a bunch of clothes, laundry basket, bags, and backpacks. Steve said Morgan was going to do laundry across the street. The police found it odd since there was a washer and dryer at their apartment. The police asked the two to come into the station for a follow-up interview. Steve then fled in the truck. Morgan walked over to a step, sat down, and said maybe Steve had done something to Kevin. 
Morgan was interviewed at the police station and Steve was now on the run and needed to be found. They tried tracking his phone, but it had been turned off. Morgan's phone was still inside the truck and was still on, and she gave the police permission to track it. It was just a bad marriage. Okay, tell us. A bad marriage. The yelling, the screaming, the fighting, the I can't ever do anything right. So tell us about your affair. How does Steve treat you? Talk to me like I was a human being with feelings. Morgan stuck to her story about Kevin walking out on them and said Kevin needed a fresh start. The police asked Morgan who the clothes in the truck belonged to, and Morgan said they were Steve's. Morgan admitted that Steve had been staying with her a few nights a week and that she never thought about Kevin coming back home. I ever think that maybe Kevin would come home and Steve would be there and there would be an issue? No, I hadn't thought about that. Michelle and Kevin's family said Morgan had a history of deception. Michelle said she looked innocent and they believed her. One of Morgan's biggest lies was from her first pregnancy. Morgan claimed she wasn't pregnant when it was clear that she was. Morgan had claimed that she told Kevin that she was on birth control and that it caused her stomach to swell. So Kevin was shocked when their baby was born. He was eventually very happy about being a dad. Back to Morgan's interview. After a few hours of being interviewed, Morgan led the police to believe she knew more about what was going on. Steve had said to me that he loved me and would do whatever it took to have me. And then last night he said he had an uneasy feeling. He apologized to me and said it was his fault. I asked him what was his fault and the only response I got was the entire situation. Morgan asked if she could go out for a smoke break, and the police went outside with her. And then she, because it's still extremely hot, and there's no air conditioning in the building because of that thunderstorm. And she says, Steve told me that he hit Kevin in the back of the head with a shovel. So Morgan said Steve had hit Kevin with a shovel at the landscaping garage the day he had supposedly left her and the kids. The police asked Morgan to write down a timeline of the events from the week Kevin disappeared. She basically stuck to her original story, but on the paper, she wrote Snapple. Morgan said she didn't call the police because she was afraid she'd be whacked, too. Detective Maurer said he believed it was because she was involved, too, but Morgan denied this. Detectives Maurer and Sedlock decided to play good cop, bad cop. It had started as a joke, she said, the two lovers imagining Kevin out of the picture. Joking around, oh, you know what, we could take Kevin out. Yeah, right. What would happen, they wondered, if they put something in his favorite drink? He put nicotine, straight nicotine, in a Snapple that he bought. Following a recipe he found online, Steve cooked up some chewing tobacco into a toxic substance called liquid nicotine. Steve put the liquid nicotine in the Snapple bottle, and Morgan admitted that she had put the Snapple on the truck. Morgan said she left that day and took her kids to school. Morgan said the poison didn't kill, kill Kevin, but the blows to his head did, which Steve did alone. After that, I was not involved. You guys killed someone, and you expect me to believe that you didn't talk about it? No, I didn't want to talk about it. I looked at my kids and felt terrible. So terrible that you made up text messages to his family members about him calling you I and texting did, you. I did not do that. Who did? Steve did that. Morgan also said Steve buried Kevin in some woods a few towns over behind a high school where development was being built. The police asked Morgan if they could take pictures. 
They said she acted like she wasn't being accused of murder and was smiling for the camera. Detective Sedlock said it was almost as if she was flirting with him. An arrest warrant was obtained for Steve, who was still on the run, but Morgan was also arrested. Kevin's family was notified. He said that we believe that uh, your son has been murdered. It was um, not easy to sit and listen to. Kevin's three children were spending the day at his sister Michelle's house when she learned that Kevin was not coming back. Kevin's kids came in and they just came up and they just started hugging me and they're like, what's wrong? They just, I think they knew. Michelle said she couldn't believe that Steve was the one that was responsible. He had just cut her lawn just a few weeks earlier and had even said he had just got his wisdom teeth out and she felt bad for him. Kevin's remains were recovered in a shallow grave behind a high school where Morgan said it would be. Steve was arrested the next day 2,000 miles away in Colorado. Michelle said she couldn't see Steve doing it, but she could imagine Morgan doing it. Morgan had blamed everything on Steve, but the prosecution discovered text messages that Morgan had sent asking if the poison had worked yet. When it wasn't working fast enough, Morgan asked, quote, couldn't you just pick up a shovel, unquote. Jack McMahon, Morgan's defense, said the, week, the case was weak. Morgan hadn't been at the crime scene when Kevin was killed. He said Morgan wouldn't have had a motive because she was worse off financially with him dead. He said Morgan would wish that Kevin was dead, and when Steve heard it, he took it seriously. After Steve was picked up in Denver, he was questioned by the police. Steve had admitted to being in love with Morgan and killing Kevin to be with her. Steve also said that Morgan was grateful when it was done. The prosecution offered Steve a lesser charge of murder if he agreed to testify against Morgan. Morgan was charged with premeditated murder, which if convicted was a mandatory life sentence. Michelle believes Morgan was the mastermind and had a way with men. The prosecution also said it was Morgan who had sent the messages acting as, as if she was Kevin. The cell phone tracking proved it. In January 2012, Morgan went on trial. The DA and police had a play-by-play -play of text messages of how Kevin was killed. The text messages showed what time Kevin was killed on June 17, 2010, and how it happened. Four hours before the murder, Morgan texted Steve, quote, we ready? End quote. Steve responded, yep, at the shop now. 30 minutes before the murder, Morgan asked what the uh, asked about the poison snapple. She asked, quote, he drinking it, end quote. Steve said, yeah, kind of, just waiting for him to bend over, and that he had a shovel in his hand. Steve added a ha-ha, and Morgan said, nice, babe. When Morgan didn't respond, Morgan asked him if, if he was backing out, and Steve then responded, it's done. Morgan's defense said she wasn't the mastermind and didn't believe Steve was actually going to go through with it. A few days into the trial, a mistrial was declared. While they were waiting in jail, Morgan was trying to keep Steve quiet. She wrote him a letter and said she had given birth to twins. Morgan had written him other letters asking him to take the blame so she could raise their kids. It was a lie and a manipulation. Morgan was retried, but before Steve could testify, Morgan changed her plea. She admitted to premeditated first-degree murder. Kevin Sr. said to Morgan in court, how dare you deprive my son Kevin of his God-given right to live his life and his right to die a natural death. He also spoke about his reconciliation with his son, and they told Morgan to rot in hell. Steve was sentenced to 40 to 80 years, and Morgan was sentenced to life without parole. The children are being raised by Kevin's family.
I want her to be in jail for the rest of her life. I want her to know that I'm going to be there when her daughter walks down the aisle. I'm going to be there when her daughter has a baby. I'm going to be there with her sons when they meet their wives and graduate from high school. I think Morgan and Steve are both just as responsible as the other. Morgan was the mastermind, but Steve was naive and thought he could have Morgan all to himself if he did this for her. Morgan should have just walked away like she did before, but instead she took a father away from his kids, a brother, and a son away from his family, and it's heartbreaking. My book recommendation for this week is The Things We Bring to the Table by Rod Palmer. Summary. The Diamond in the Rough Beauty Cree is swooned by the uber-rich Russ Rutledge, but a decade later the fairy dust has collected on the ceiling fans and Cree finds herself married to a man who refuses to touch her. She's all but given up on the marriage and on life itself until she encounters her parallel world version of the self she should have become had she followed her passion. The Grammy-nominated singer with the stage name Lulu McQueen doesn't disclose that she just escaped the hands of kidnappers. She simply offers Cree the option to trade places. Cree opens that Pandora's box and falls in. She's instantly famous and finds herself entangled in a steamy affair with this world's bachelor version of her abstinent husband. Unfortunately for Cree, things unravel quickly as she learns that Lulu left this world to escape pending criminal charges, financial ruin, and a threat upon her life. There's also this secret that Cree kept for many years that is out in this world. It's a secret that had changed the course of her life. In this thriller, Cree must risk it all along a journey of self-discovery while tracking down one person capable of transporting her back to her world. She must enlist the help of someone likely to double-cross Cree to, co- to cross over herself for her own second chance at love. Cree and Lulu decide to switch places, only if they can switch back at some point. They both enjoy their new lives for a little while, but soon one of them comes to regret their decision. One of them is not what they seem. It's a Freaky Friday type story mixed with some drama, mystery, and a thriller. I give this book an 8 out of 10. I hope you enjoyed today's case. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, email me at itscrimelocockslummer at gmail.com, buy me a coffee, and leave me a 5-star rating and review. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation, and remember, it's Crime O'Clock Somewhere.